I'm praying for you. You know, over the years, I've spoken uh, those words many times to many people. I've had many people speak those words to me. I'm praying for you. I imagine that you've had people tell you that I'm praying for you, and you've spoken those words to people, haven't you? Told them, I'm praying for you. And those, those words are comforting. It's even more comforting when we know what the prayers are. Right? When somebody says, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you that, that God will heal you. Hey, I'm praying for you that God will provide a job for you soon. I'm praying for you that in the midst of this really hard time, that God's peace and uh, his encouragement and his joy will be with you. I'm praying that your marriage will be healed. You know, whatever it is, I'm praying for you. And and it's a comfort to know not merely that we're being prayed for, but but what is being prayed for us. We know from the Bible that Jesus prays for us. In in Romans 8.34, we're told that Jesus is, is now, and think about this, that Jesus is now at the right hand of God making intercession for us. He's praying for us now. We're told in Hebrews 7.25 that that he always lives to pray for us, to intercede for us. And we know from the Bible that Jesus is praying for us. Wouldn't Wouldn't it be great if somehow we could know what Jesus is praying for us? Well, I think we can. And I think we can because Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, I love, that, I love that scene in the beginning of the book of Acts where the disciples are gathered with Jesus and, and he's taken up in a cloud of glory and they're, and they're just kind of standing there, gape mouth, looking. And all of a sudden there's angelic messengers with him. Do you remember what they say? They say, men of Galilee, why do you stand here gaping into the sky? This same... Jesus, who's gone from you, will return. You want to know what Jesus' disposition is toward people struggling in their sin? You want to know what Jesus' disposition is toward those who are earnestly seeking God but, fe- but fearing that they, they, they really have no leg to stand on? You, you want to know what Jesus' disposition is to hurting people looking for healing? Look at the Gospels. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the same Jesus. And before he went to the cross, Jesus spent an extended time praying for us. This was before they even crossed the Kidron Valley. They were still in the upper room. And John alone records that prayer. I'd like to read it to you today. John uh, overheard it, and he recorded it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we can overhear it too. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. 
Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the works you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now that I know that everything you have given me comes from you, I gave them your words, the words that you gave to me, and they accepted them. And they knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you've sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And Father, what, what words can we add to that prayer? May the words of my lips today in the meditation of all of our hearts as we reflect on these things. Be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer.
Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. And he prays for us the things that we most need. It's important, you know, as we look at this today, that this is a prayer. It's not a sermon and it's not a lecture. So Jesus moves back and forth between topics, uh, picking up this topic, then setting it down, going to another topic, coming back and picking this topic up again. We think about those words from the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father praying for us now, right, right now, praying for us. And overhearing the prayer that this same Jesus has made before the Apostle John in John's hearing gives us a pretty good indication of who Jesus is praying for and what he's praying. So who does Jesus pray for? Well, we're told that Jesus prays for his disciples and not for the world. He says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me, for they are yours. Now, the word world here, you know, we've been looking at this word throughout John's gospel. World here doesn't mean the creation. In verse uh, 14, Jesus says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Well, world here doesn't mean the creation. It doesn't mean that we're not a part of the creation. But when Jesus says he's not praying for the world, it is uh, the world again here in the sense of a system uh, of philosophy or thought which, which spans the gamut of active hostility toward God to just indifference toward God, ignoring him, to sometimes co-opting and using God for people's own agendas. And we saw the Pharisees, we've seen the Pharisees do that often. And, and the world is such, that system that is opposed to God, that philosophy and thought that's opposed to God, the world in that sense cannot be saved. It can only be destroyed. There's, there's no way in the kingdom of God, you think in the church, that we could incorporate active hostility toward God. You can't incorporate that. It's just got to be done away with. You can't incorporate indifference toward God. You can't, you can't incorporate uh, playing games with God, having our own agenda, and just using him as a kind of a mascot, an excuse for it. So Jesus doesn't pray for the world. He prays for his own because the world as such cannot be saved. Now, as Jesus will make clear, people can be saved out of the world. But the world in that sense in itself cannot be saved. And so Jesus prays when he says he prays for the world. Uh, the, 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 the word that he uses there means that he prays for the benefit, or I'm sorry, prays for his disciples, prays for the benefit of his disciples. He's not praying for the benefit of the world, for the success of the world. 
Jesus prays for those the Father. We're told in verse 6 that the Father's given him out of the world. That that is, as uh, Paul writes, that at one time we all lived among them. We were all a part of the world. But the Father has uh, given a people to the Son out of the world. And so Jesus prays for those who are his disciples there at that time, the apostles, the other disciples who have followed him, but he doesn't pray for them alone. He prays too for those who are going to come to believe through their message. In verse 20, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That is to say, if, if you believe the message of this book, if you believe the message that was given through the apostles, Jesus says that he's praying for you. And so from Jesus' own lips, we learn that he doesn't pray for the world, for the system that's in rebellion against God, but he's praying for those who have been given to him out of the world. So it's pretty clear who it is that Jesus prays for here. What does Jesus pray for? Well, let me point out again that Jesus prays here for what we most need. He doesn't pray necessarily for what we want. You know, Paul said, when I was a, when I was a child, I thought like a child, spoke like a child. But as we mature, we need to put childish things away. And so, you know, you hear the, the prayers of little children who pray for things that they want. But, but the more mature we come, the more we grow in Christ. I, 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 hope, our, I hope our prayers move beyond, oh, oh God, I've always really wanted a Maserati. <laughs> Jesus prays for what we need, what we most need, not necessarily what we want. Knowing that Jesus is praying for us, Uh, does not give our imaginations a kind of a blank slate to fill in whatever it is that we we would like him to be praying for us. Broadly, what we're told is that Jesus is praying for us the most needful things, and those things are three. He's praying for sanctity, he's praying for unity, and he's praying for glory. Now, Now, by sanctity, I simply mean holiness. Jesus prays for our holiness. Quoting Leviticus chapter 11, the apostle Peter tells us that God calls us to be holy, for I am holy. Hebrews 12, 14 tells us to pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Um, holiness is not some vague sense of religiosity. It's, it's, not, uh, it's, it's not acting in some sanctimonious manner. Holiness is looking like Jesus. You know, we're told in Romans 8.29 that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's, that's the great goal. That's what holiness is, to look like his son. God's predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. 
But listen, that predestination is not the promise of a glide path to get there. It's far from it. Anybody who who says, well, I can live carelessly because God predestined some to be conformed to the image of his uh, son, is, is really operating in their mind at odds with the teaching of Jesus. We're told in Hebrews 12, 14 to pursue holiness. That, that word that is used there in the book of Hebrews means to hunt it down, to overtake it. It's a word that's used of predators hunting down prey. It's a word that's used of, um, of, of an army pursuing a fleeing army. Pursue holiness, hunt it down. And the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.10, uh, writes to him about godliness, and he says, for this we labor and strive. That word labor means to exert oneself to the point of weariness. That's not always a bad thing. Right? My, my, my wife loves gardening. Me, not so much. But if she needs help, I'll help her. And so the other day she was out um, in the garden beds and she was having a great time. When she came home, or when she came in, I should say, she was weary. She was weary. It wasn't that... She didn't like what she was doing, that she didn't enjoy what she was doing, but it wore her out. And Paul says of godliness, he says, it's for this we labor, we exert ourselves to the point of weariness, and we strive. And that word strive is a word that was often used in the context of, a, of an athletic competition. It's the word that we get our word agonize over. For this, we exert ourselves to the point of weariness and we agonize to lay hold of. And friends, understand this. It's so important that you do. Holiness is not a prerequisite for you knowing God. Holiness is not a prerequisite for you knowing God. It's the result of you knowing God through Jesus Christ. Jesus prays, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. And then he goes on there to pray for, uh, for our holiness, for our sanctity. But holiness is not a prerequisite for knowing God. It's the result of knowing God. And holiness, Jesus says, comes to us by the word of God. He says, sanctify them or make them holy by the truth. Your word is truth. To be sanctified by the word means we must be doers of it and not merely hearers of it. So that in verse 6, Jesus prays, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Being sanctified by the word means that we must be doers of it, not merely hearers of it. And understand that 
believing that word and acting upon it will put you at odds with the world. So Jesus says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So let me, let me, let me say it this way. If you look at Jesus' prayer here, Jesus prays for those who are wordly, not worldly. Prays for those who are wordly, not worldly. Write that down. I worked on it all week. Wordly, not worldly. He prays for those who are being sanctified by and conformed to his word rather than those who are being molded and conformed to the world. So Jesus prays for our sanctity He also prays for our unity. Jesus desires unity for his people. You know, in Revelation chapter 5, we see this this beautiful uh, picture of people around the throne from every language, from every nation, from every people group. And, you know, I I think of uh, over the years, and we've got a number of uh, people um, away today, but We've got who worship with us, a young lady from Brazil. We have a family from Cameroon. Uh, We've had uh, people worship with us for a short time from China. And and what a great picture of heaven that is. Jesus desires the unity of his people. In, In fact, he prays for God's protection against disunity. He says in verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus prays for protection against disunity. And that unity that Jesus prays for is to be present uh, not only in individual congregations, but if you read the letters of Paul to the individual churches, certainly that's a great concern of Paul's that there be unity in the individual congregations, but that there be unity in the church as a whole from uh, every tribe, from every tongue, from every language, from every nation. It's one of the reasons why I, why I emphasize this morning, and I often do, that Christianity is not something we invented. It's something that we've inherited. That we don't own it. We're the custodians of it. That we stand in a long line of the people of God. You know, I'm always amazed because, you know, we live in a, we, we live in a particular time in history, a particular place. Uh, we read the Bible. We read uh, particular books um, that, that, that encourage us to grow in our faith. And I'm always amazed that when I pick up like the early church fathers and I read them and I realize these people had the same experience that I've had. They had the same experience that I have. They know the same Lord that I know. And so Jesus prays for the unity of the church, not merely the world over, but he prays 
for it through generations. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Because that unity itself is a witness to the truth of the gospel. Um, what was it, four or five months ago that, uh, that Deborah and Glenn, you came, uh, th- those missionaries that I had met from Brazil, just met them on the internet, and they were in the U.S. They, they hoped to come here sometime to, to work among um, a Spanish population. They'd been uh, working uh, among the Spanish. You know, in Brazil, they speak Portuguese, right? It's, it's not Spanish, but they know Spanish. And so they're, they're looking, they're hoping to come, but sent by their missions agency to Leesburg. Isn't that interesting, folks, that we're having people send missionaries to us? And, uh, and they wanted to come here and get plugged in with our church. That's been kind of uh, held up. But we had a delightful time, and it was amazing, wasn't it, that you, that you meet with these believers from around the world, and we have the same faith. We have the same Lord. And that's exactly what Jesus prayed for, that there would be one. So the unity itself is a witness to the truth of the gospel. And that unity is necessary because, you know, Christianity is split into so many factions. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer once uh, said, after he visited the United States, he said, it has been given by God to the American church to display least the unity of the church Catholic. Jesus prayed that we'd be one because there are only two sides. People are either in Adam or they're in Christ. They're either people of the world or they're people of the word. And Jesus prays specifically that though we're not of the world, he said that they not be taken out of the world. You see, the issue is not whether uh, Christians go out into the world, we can, we must do that. That's what God calls us to do. It's not whether we go out into the world, it's whether the, the world gets in us. You know, I talking to somebody one time um, who, who did commercial fishing, and I said, is that, uh, is that, ever, is that ever, like, when you're out storing storms? He said, oh, yes, certainly. I said, is that ever worrisome? He said, it can be a little rough. He said, it's not a problem, Uh, no matter how much water is on the outside, the problem is if the water gets in the boat, that's the problem, right? That that the problem, folks, is not that we're called to be in the world, that the problem comes if the world gets in us. And that's what Jesus prays for us for. So, so, so So the unity is a witness to the world. We don't belong to the world, but Jesus has left us in the world and we are witness to those in the world that, that they may come out of the world, that they may be, though they're in the world, not of it. So Jesus uh, prays for the worldly, not the worldly. He prays for our sanctity, for our unity. And then he prays concerning glory. He says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that the Son 
may glorify you. So Jesus prays for his own glory. He, he prays for the restoration of the rightful glory of his deity. He says, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And he prays that we might see his glory. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So Jesus prays for his own glory. He prays that we would see that glory. Does that seem selfish to you, that Jesus prays for his own glory and that we might see his glory? If you think that, it's because It's because we look at that through our own selfishness. If Jesus is who John has told us at the beginning of the gospel, he is, the glory belongs to him. If he's done the Father's will at great cost, the glory belongs to him. And and, and he wants us to see his glory. The, The them that he prays for to see his glory are his people, those who love him, right? Those who saw him arrested and beaten and condemned and crucified. And I can't really imagine, you know, a a much more agonizing, painful death than crucifixion, but but for the Roman Empire, it was more than even just that. It, It was despicable, ignoble, humiliation, And the disciples, you know, as they beheld that, even at a distance, as they scattered, did it with agony and anguish. And we experience that agony, that anguish, I think, whenever we read of his death in the Gospels. Any of you ever uh, see a, a movie where a beloved character dies? And, and if you watch that movie again, you saw it the first time, but if you watch the movie again, you turn your head away. You, you, you know what's coming. You don't need to see it again. It's, it's too heart-wrenching, and that's a movie. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something about myself. Sometimes when I read through the Gospels, when I, when I get to the crucifixion of Jesus, I just turn the page because I can't stand to see it again. It hurts too much. And what Jesus prays is this. He says, Father... For those who suffer, when they look on my suffering, let them see my glory. Let them see my glory. But he prays not only for his glory, he prays for ours. He says in verse 22, I've given them the glory that you gave me. That they may be one as we are one. I and them, and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. And he prays to share his glory with us. He says, because we have glorified him. In verses 9 and 10, he says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they're yours All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. 
And, and, and Jesus prays for the glory of people like you who glorify him. And then, you know, you might be thinking to yourself, right, and I don't really glorify him particularly well. Well, neither did those who are with him. They would all turn their tails and run. Peter would deny that he even knew him. It's astonishing what Jesus says here. He says, for they've kept your word. Either Jesus has incredibly low standards or he's full of grace. Or he's full of grace. And you say, I haven't kept his word particularly well. Well, you know what? That's why he prays for you. Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. And that us is not the world. It's not those who are being conformed to the world, but those who are being transformed by his word. He prays for our sanctity, that we might look like him, that we may grow in conformity to him, that we may be holy as he is holy. He prays for our unity, that we may be one, even as the Father and the Son are one. And he prays for glory, that we may see his, and that we may share in it. It still might bother some of you that Jesus says that he doesn't pray for the world. I don't know what to tell you about that. Those are Jesus' words. They're not mine. But rather than being concerned that Jesus doesn't pray for the world, wouldn't it be better to be sure that he's praying for you? You know, Jesus still calls people out of the world, still reveals people or still reveals God to people by his word and spirit through the witness of his church. And he doesn't call you to be holy in order that you can come to him. He calls you to come to him so that you can be holy. And if you come, if you put your trust in him, if you'll strive to obey his word, even even though you trip and fall and fail, you can be sure that today, right now, Jesus is at the right hand of God, interceding for you. And Father, to, to that prayer, what can we add? So Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us confidence that when we don't know how to pray, as I've mentioned uh, many times uh, in the course of our worship today, that the Spirit in us prays with groanings too deep for human understanding, and that Jesus, who knows exactly what to pray, is at your right hand interceding for us. And Father, give us confidence in that we pray. In his great name, amen. Amen.